This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, is it possible that a PT Cruiser is just as cool as a Ferrari? Ooh, that's a tough one. But Joe Weber, co-host of the Past Gas Podcast with Donut Media, tells us why they think all cars are cool and how they use the magic of cars to reach millions of fans on YouTube. Like, millions and millions. Cool stuff. Game Showy is back. Our trivia radio show with special guest contestant Kelsey Campbell, executive producer of The Shift on here. Spicy, competitive, and we're arguing about cars. Who wins the game? To be determined. Luxury, mom-friendly. It's a tight one. And it's been 80 years, but over 90% of art stolen during World War II has never been recovered. Mark Mazarovsky, the co-founder of the Holocaust Art Restoration Project, HARP, tells us how his organization tracks down art that was stolen by the Nazis and what it takes to get it back into the hands of Jewish people. It's all available for you on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. All cars are cool, which is a great notion until you see a PT Cruiser. (laughs) Then you go driving along PT Cruiser, you're a loser. (laughs) <laughs> That's what my friends say anyway. I actually quite like PT Cruisers. I thought when they came out, they were quite cool. So joining me in conversation to answer the question, and many others, um, are all cars actually cool? Is there possibly a way to find something cool about every car? Is uh, Joe Weber's here, writer, producer, director, co-host of the Past Gas podcast, which is uh, Past Gas, not Past Gas Anyway, it's, a, it's Donut it's about Media cars, as a group. It's not about farts. It's That's not about tagline. fart cars either. Um, no. <laughs> so uh, thanks for being here, man. You guys have like this long list of holy cow videos. And uh, I just, I feel overwhelmed watching it going, this is a lot of work. Um, how are you doing today? And uh, how are things in the world of YouTube superstardom? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, thank you for having me on the show as well. Uh, very busy day over here at Donut. We just recorded another podcast on the Red Bull Formula One team, which is uh, the champions from last year. Uh, kind of controversial at the moment. But yeah, things are going great. Um, just, you know, slogging along, making videos. So what's uh, let's let's put some context. Most recent video, if you can't release what hasn't been released yet because it's a secret, um, that's cool, but most recent video. So people can understand what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, the most recent video that I was in charge of was, uh, it's, uh, it was a saga. Uh, <laughs> we, we built the world's smallest production V8 engine that actually works. It's a 28 CC engine. It's about the size of a small loaf of bread and it makes about four horsepower and, it's made as a model first off, but it actually does run and other YouTubers have gotten it to run and idle. And so I was, I thought it would be, you know, like making a model and making it run. And turns out uh, two months later, uh, we just couldn't make it happen. We would have to, you know, machine a bunch of parts and um, get some real experts in and we just ran out of time. So that's the last video that came out about a week ago. Um, and... You know, we we didn't get it running, but we promised the audience we're going to get it running eventually. We we're already talking to another YouTube channel about it. Um, 
but yeah, we, we do a lot of, uh, build shows. We do a lot of science type shows, history shows. Uh, one video that we're working on right now that I think is all right to talk about. I hope it is. Um, we, <laughs> is now. we are taking model T tires and, and rims and putting them on a modern car and racing them around the track. Oh, dear. these old timey tires. And it's, uh, it's not as bad as you think it is. Really? Gonna, yeah, it's actually pretty pretty stable. You know, drifts a little bit more than a modern tire, but really? yeah. So that that's the kind of fun stuff we're working on right now. Um, it sounds really cool. Um, it's kind of like a it's a balance of like a science how it works or how it's made kind yeah. of show mm -hmm. mixed with a MythBusters kind of show. Yep. Mixed with Red Bull dropping people from the stratosphere from a balloon <laughs> kind of show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's a little bit of stunts, a little bit of history. We used to have our, our like different shows for all of that. We had a science show, history, modern, uh, you know, news show. Um, now we are just donut. All of our content is kind of a mixture of all that. So, um, you know, we we figured we found that we were kind of splintering our, our audience, and we got people just watching the science shows just watching history and we're like, let's make everyone watch everything. So that's why we combined all our concepts together and they have little elements of these old shows that we used to produce, but it's more of just a cohesive friends hanging out, doing science projects kind of thing. Great job, man. Great way to live your life. Hey, when you get to hang out Thank with you. good people and, and do some of your favorite things, I think that's a good takeaway for everybody who maybe looks at their job today and goes, Ugh, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah, I mean it it I am surprised that I get to do this every day. I was a chef for 12 years, so um it took me a long time to get out of the kitchen, but I I through friends and networking and following my passions, I'm in a position today that I really love and it I can do come and do creative stuff all day every day and it's fun. Has everyone made the connection to you before that you're still kind of in the kitchen? <laughs> well, you're preparing things for people really i mean you're still kind of delivering the same core piece it's true yeah it i never thought about it like that but the uh, the one thing uh that has changed is i don't get uh you know stuff sent back to me mm. as much so you know like people who don't understand what medium rare is uh and i just right. have to suck it up and send them out what that what i know they meant medium well you know but they said yeah. medium rare <laughs> That's so good. I love that. Okay, so our guest right now is Joe Weber. He is with Donut Media. They do all things cars. And this is sort of where it came about for us was we actually started the idea of reaching out to you guys when the Tesla uh, truck came out. Because, I yes. mean, yeah. that, you know, that truck itself kind of – in one conversation we had with it, I said to a car expert guy, I said, you know, it's kind of like – you know, the DeLorean meets a toy kind of thing. And, and the, the car expert said back to me, I absolutely, but I feel like that's an insult to the DeLorean, um, and, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, and so yeah. we, that's how we started this conversation. You can comment on that if you like. But what we really learned here is that you guys don't really bang up on cars. I mean, you do speak to it rather frankly about, you know, this part of it is really kind of terrible, but you do find the coolness of all the cars. That was the reason for my question. You do find something. It's not about being negative. Like you guys don't have a negative show where you just bang up on stuff. Some yeah. people do that. I don't like that. You guys, you know, if you are going to speak realistically about stuff, that's cool. But you also talk about, but by the way, like this is really cool and unique about this car too. So does it come from a real love affair of cars um or um, is how does that kind of sort of come about because you guys i think you guys handle it really well so 
when we started uh in 2015 we all love uh we all kind of grew up in the same time frame and so we all grew up with the golden era japanese cars you know the mm. 90s japanese cars that uh people lower put turbos on um that you could find for cheap not anymore but uh so we all had the same cars in mind when we started this channel and uh they weren't what you know everyone else was reviewing the brand new bmw 5 series or the right. audi whatever a7 um we always appeal to people that can buy four to five thousand dollar cars and we never want to talk smack about a car that someone drives every day and loves and um you know you mentioned the pt cruiser i am i know how much people hate it i actually like the pt cruiser and there are cool versions of it mm -hmm. um but the it, legit Woody Wagon ones for me is what gets me. I love that. <laughs> like I like even the HHR yeah. when that Chevy came out the, yeah. to compete with it. Like the the true uh, salute to the Woody Wagon really is what got me with it. I love that. It's fun, you know. It's it's like uh, we might, uh, you know, like rip on it like a friend would rip on another friend, but it's uh, it all comes from a place of love, and I think what differentiates Donut from other, you know, like let's say auto like car review channels is I think there's like this need for critics to say something negative about the car because they equate that to taste or, you know, expertise in the area that happens with food too, you know, like food critics, poo poo, the tiniest little things where it's like, does it actually matter or are you just right. like being pedantic about it? So we didn't want to be pedantic. We didn't want to talk smack about any car that our fans drive on a daily basis. Um, I think we are having said that we are kind of moving in a direction where we are able to, um, give opinions on cars that aren't always super positive or starting to do more reviews. And so we do have to have like the language down and we have to, be a little bit more choosy about mm -hmm. uh you know how we speak about cars well you gotta be straight uh, too right yeah yeah we're not gonna we're like sure the um a buick century from 2001 is probably not the best car but we're we're not gonna just lay into that car as a joke for the right. fun of it we're just you know because uh, guaranteed at least 10 people that watch the channel drive that car and drive not that gonna, car yeah 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 it's not an insult on anybody's character i hear you that's really yeah. cool the um and how cool is it too to be able to i mean you know while you get in the car and you say look this is a pretty car i'm six feet tall dude i don't <laughs> fit like i can't drive it right like whatever like a miata is a great example for me my buddy had yeah. used to have like this eggplant purple limited edition miata oh yeah He's like you gotta come for a ride in my car mm -hmm. i'm like okay let's do it we went for this beautiful ride through the mountains yeah and you know what i i can't look through the windshield i had to look <laughs> over the windshield because my forehead hurt from so many bugs hitting it. So is it fun? Yeah, it's like driving a video game, a little gear shifter and all the things. But the reality is I don't fit in that car. Well, yeah, that's a funny thing that a couple of our hosts have run into because, you know, um, Nolan, uh, my co-host on Pass Gas, is a Mustang guy. He's a Ford guy through and through. Um, he could never own or drive a GT, a Ford GT, because it's so tiny. And it's, you know, it's like... You can't even move the seat back in that car. And so it's funny to like see now that we have access to more, you know, better cars or dream cars of ours. Um, 
how many times James, my other co-host, has been like, I could never own this car because he's 6'3". You know, it's just kind of crushing in a way, but also like there's a million cars. <laughs> like you can have like you could have a, a rosy view on a car and drive it and be like, oh, that's not at all what I thought it was going to be, you know? Mm. Yeah, I've had that many times actually where yeah. you like you're like i gotta get this car and then you get in it and you're like this is not fun <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh, hummers were like that for me the h2 was like that i always wanted an h2 oh yeah and then you kind of get in it and you're like i can't even hold my girlfriend's hand <laughs> like, <laughs> is it that so far, far away, away. <laughs> <laughs> um you know it's not that far i'm exaggerating but it is quite far um yeah. in all fairness so you know these these things are really cool joe weber here uh, he's with donut media they have the past guest um car podcast uh, and all these things video podcasts too on youtube uh, mm -hmm. the links will be at shiftheads.c to check it out uh if you want to go to shiftheads.ca so here's the thing coolness of cars let's dig into the specifics yes i've um, been waiting for this yeah, so like, okay, what is a cool car to you? Subjective, we may disagree. Uh, that's the cool part about why cars are cool. Maybe three, three cars that three always, cars. That, that maybe that almost like the guilty pleasures that when they drive by or you see them, you're like, oh man, that's it right there. I want that. Yeah. Okay, I'll start, I'll start in tears. So on the lower end, one of my dream cars is uh, 2000 to 2005 BMW, three series, which is a smaller one, yeah. um, station wagon. Oh, I had one. Oh, you did? I did oh. in 2003. That's, that's one of my dream cars. I, I, I ever said, you know, like, uh, if I ever had a family, I would get that car cause it's mm -hmm. practical, you know, it's sporty, it's fun. Um, so that's on the lower end. Uh, I'd say mid tier is, uh, you know, an eighties Porsche with the big mm. whale tail. Oh, really? You want the whale tail? The big yeah, one? Yeah, I know. They're, they're dangerous. Uh, you know, they don't... <laughs> it's probably... Con uh, compared to, like, modern cars, it's probably not a great car. But it's just, like, the look of it, um, how I would mod modify it, uh, it's just one of those cars that's, you know, I have to own one of those before I'm 50. No, even if it means I not that old, just so you I know, know, I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> but that's I need I need a benchmark, uh, or else I'm never gonna get it. You know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. And then on the upper end, we're talking, you know, above five hundred thousand dollar cars. Uh, I've I, I don't know. I think like a Pagani Huayra, um, <sighs> which is an Italian supercar made by this uh, Argentinian dude, Horacio Pagani. Uh, the whole thing comes apart like a transformer if you got to work on it it's you know 600 horsepower naturally naturally aspirated bmw v12 mm -hmm. uh just you know if i had uh f off money that's my car that's your car okay um yeah this is this is cool okay so i'm going to I, this has changed for me recently i, I i'm gonna dance the same way you did uh the basic cars i'm with you actually i would go with a five series uh wagon oh yeah it's a little um, bigger. You mm -hmm. know, the wagon tax. I've had a couple of wagons. I've had um, the E91, I think, was the wagon, um, the 6, 2006-ish yeah. to newer. And yeah. I've had a, I've had a couple of those. I love those. Um, they're mm -hmm. always great for value because we call it a wagon tax, right? Because um, <laughs> people will pay extra for the wagon because there's not very many of them. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. that. So I do love you. I'm there with you on that. I like the 5 Series a little bit better for that car. Yeah, um, just a little bit more power, a little bit more room. A little more room, usually. And the old 5 Series before they screwed it up would had the V6, which which was nice. 
um, as opposed to when they put a four cylinder turbo in it and, and that turned a lot of people off the five series and then they created the four series and anyway uh yeah. that's my baggage not yours um or we could we could do a whole show on just bmw politics <laughs> well dude well i have i the x5 diesel the that's my car mm. the 70 e70 d right that's i yeah i have three of them actually right now and so wow that's my favorite because my partner's in another city so we have car there and car here so um yeah now going back in time, I want to I want to talk about that Porsche that you said because there was a 1973 911 right after the 912 finish that came out with the 911 that I I drove once mm -hmm. I took it for an inspection I didn't end up buying it, but at the time I had a 2002 Golf, mm -hmm. and I remember driving the Golf I picked up the Porsche I took it to the mechanic I got it inspected I drove it back when I got back in that Golf yeah, that Golf felt like a piece of crap. <laughs> Now that was a nice car. That golf was a nice tight car. Like yeah. Back then that was a nice car. Yeah. And, um, but after driving even that 30 year old car, mm -hmm. you know, all of the, there's lots of, lots of ropes and lots of strings and lots of mechanics that can go wrong in those yes. cars. Like you're even, you're, you're choking your idols, like on the floor, like it was dumb, <laughs> but the, uh, but it was just still such a cool car to drive. Yeah. So many years later. So I feel like I really get that. 2008 Aston Martin Vantage V8 manual. Ooh. That's your top tier? Well, it gets higher. Mid tier? <laughs> you know what I would go for? I would actually go for the um, the BMW Alpina, the X7 version, brand new Ooh. right now. I'm not a brand new kind of car guy. Yeah. But the new Alpina that... Um, that, that if you don't know the story of Alpina, it's like the only partner BMW has that's allowed to touch their cars. Yep. And um, the the X7 version of it, I saw one in Ottawa, like this unicorn that pulled in front of me, yeah. and then the skies opened, and there was a rainbow, <laughs> and the sunbeam shone down, and there was angels. <laughs> like, it was the most beautiful experience. Um, that, to me, is one of the most... Like, that is a full-on race car in a in an SUV chassis. Yeah, that's the thing about BMW SUVs are like, they're great. You could take them to an autocross or the track or whatever. They're going to hold their own. Like they're mm -hmm. great driver's cars. Um, I haven't even seen that new Alpina one, but mm -hmm. I love, Alp I love the B12, the B6, mm -hmm. like uh, all those heritage ones. Oh, it's a beautiful car. So there, I, there was a guy I asked and he said, and maybe you can tell me your thoughts on this. I, he was driving, a, it was a Porsche Cayenne. And um, it was the turbo. It was like fancy, right? And I walked yeah. up to him in a parking lot. I said, "How? if you're a Porsche fan, how do you like the SUV? And he goes, oh, this isn't an SUV. <laughs> this is a sports car. Yeah. And I think he nailed it. Yeah. I think I've heard many people say that it just drives like a Porsche. Like there's no, you know, you know, when you're driving an SUV, when you're driving a Durango or an Expedition or something, it feels like an actual, like, like a blimp or mm -hmm. something. Uh, just the Cayenne and even the Macan are just so tight on the road. It feels so planted. You don't feel like you're ever going to be out of control. And it just, the power is there too. Love it. Um, oh. one, one thing I want to go back to, you said yeah. that you, your golf, your GTI felt like crap after you drove that Porsche. Yeah. I drove one of the, have you seen these Gunther works remastered 911s? No, I have not. There's oh, I, you know what? There's a. There might be an Instagram account that I've seen. Yes, actually, yeah. now that you say that, yeah. They, There's a they Spring, make Springer is the other one. They do the yes. interiors. Yeah, same right? similar company. Yeah, uh, okay. But they, you know, they do everything. They they bore out the engine. They uh, bump up the power. They make these beautiful pleated leather seats, and everything yeah. is like remastered, is how, what they call it. But I went to an event and drove that 
that car ruined me. It ruined my perception of every other car. Really? And I, that's, it, I've only been able to think of that car. It, you know, it's like, it's got uh, over 300 millimeter wheels on the back, just huge race car wheels. Uh, I was being a little bit careful because it sold for $600,000. So oh, I was like, dear. I cannot even, you know, get close to scratching this thing. I gave it a little goose on the highway and it felt like it was on rails. I never really? felt like it. Yeah. It was just like perfectly redone. So I think I'm going to amend my answer to be that Gunther works remastered 911. <laughs> okay, cool. I love that. Okay. <laughs> most expensive car you've ever had the chance to drive. Not just that, be in. That's that the one, one for sure. Yeah. That wow. is, uh, you know, my, my co-host James actually got to drive a Pagani Huayra and I think it's just over $2 million. Oof. And he said he, when he, he stepped it out in third just a little bit, and he said he saw generations of his family in debt because of it. <laughs> but he didn't he didn't crash it or anything. But I thought that was a funny little anecdote. It was like, that's fun. Yeah, I don't. I'm too, you know, clumsy to own a car like that. Um, you said about the cars that ruin you um, for other cars because you can't really stop thinking about them. I had that similar. Um, I had that similar experience and it was, uh, I believe it was a, it was a Bentley Mulsanne. It was probably, it was mm. new at the time. Yeah. Um, and this is a big, beautiful car. Like this is a big car and yeah. you know how it ruined me. I mean, driving it was unbelievable because mm -hmm. it just, it's like floating. <laughs> it, like it's like having a, a, an airplane or a, like just, it's just oh, I bet. heaven. Um, but you know what, how it ruined me? What? I was no longer sure I wanted to drive that car. I was pretty sure that I wanted to ride in the back. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can buy this car unless I can afford to pay someone else to drive me around. That's the thing with my box or Rolls Royce or whatever. Like those are cars to be driven in uh, yeah. and enjoyed from the back seat. You know, I don't. It, it's sure they're fun and they're fast. The Bentley Continental GT would probably be great to drive, but mm -hmm. smashed a um, windshield out of one of those ones. Oh no! Yeah, I had a demo, and um, and a big rock came flying off the back of the truck, smashed the windshield. I remember I called the sales guy. I'm like, "Hey, by the way, <laughs> tell oh, me this God. is not a Bentley windshield in here." And he's like, "Oh, it is." I was like, "Oh, God. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> that's heartbreaking." <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. This is fascinating. Okay, what can we look forward to here? Because I think that some of these car fanaticists, uh, fanatics are are going to be really curious to check out what you guys get up to. Joe Weber, uh, the Past Gas Podcast. What can we look forward to? What's the invite here for these people to check out the videos with Dona Media on YouTube and the things you guys get up to? What can they look forward to? We got a lot of really cool stuff coming up in 2023. A lot of bigger projects. Um, uh, we're doing more motorcycle content. So we put a, we put a um, wish.com cheap turbo on a pit bike. Got really? it. Almost doubled the horsepower on it. It was pretty dangerous, honestly. Um, I think the next step for that is we're going to put a little rocket engine on the back and oh, make God. it even more dangerous. Uh but yeah, we can look forward to a lot of cool builds, um, a lot of, uh, you know, like pranks and experiments and stuff like that. Uh, just a good old fashioned good time. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for playfulness around cars and a true love affair of all the different things they get up to, um, make sure you check out Donut Media as a group and everything else. Uh, that is there. It is playful. It is fun. It is all about cars. In the spirit, though, Joe, of um, not getting into it, we don't have to bang <laughs> up on it. Um, the Tesla truck. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? Uh, okay. Truck, thumbs up. Elon, thumbs down. And for that reason, I would never buy one. Fair enough. The new <laughs> Ram, the new Ram electric one. Have oh. you seen? 
Sexy. Yes. I would thumbs up for that for sure. Sexy, sexy as it gets, right there. Yes. Holy cow! <laughs> Fascinating. Okay, Joe, I want you to come back, man. Let's keep this conversation alive because this Definitely. is super fun for me. Selfishly, I really appreciate this, and I love what you guys get up to. We gotta um, fly you so. down to LA sometime. I'll come down. <laughs> I'll come down. I'll come down. I'll be. I'll be like. I'm a bit of a. I'm a bit a scaredy cat, but I'm a good cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be, we'll be safe. It'll be good. All right, I'll wear a helmet. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. And it's time for us to play our favorite, favorite game show. And that game show is our... It's called Star Wars. <laughs> what? You just hit the wrong button? <laughs> no, hey, do you remember last year how my Spotify was my number one played song was the Imperial March? Because you forgot to turn it off? You because forgot I forgot to turn, to turn it off again. for like a long no, weekend okay. and it played right. over and over again on my Spotify for a whole long weekend, <laughs> becoming my number one most played song all year. That's what just happened. Nice. It's time for your favorite radio game show. That's right. It's time for game showy. It's a game show on the radio. We have a special guest here on game showy. That's Ryan. Oh, nope. He's normal. Kelsey Campbell. The crowd goes wild. Kelsey joins us from Vancouver and is the executive producer on this show. Our game showy budget is so low, we've just delegated more responsibility on the team we have. <laughs> Here's your host, Ryan O'Donnell. Oh, well, thank you, Bob. It's been too long. We are doing the trivia. We're doing the game showy. And particularly in specifics, we are looking at some of the best cars in the world and my mom's minivan. Here is our next car edition of Game Showy. And this is how this game works if you're new to the show. Our contestants are going to pick a question and difficulty of said question. Now, today we are playing for air fresheners. So you could walk away with uh, one air freshener per question. That would be an easy one, for example. Or up to three air fresheners if you want to smell like a cab. Uh, that would be a difficult question. Now, we have. Uh, oh, now, if you get the question right, you will hear this sound. Positive reinforcement, just the way millennials like it. But if you get it wrong, it's a bit more blunt. It sounds like this. Okay. Now, we have three categories of questions on this edition of Game Showy. The first is luxury, the most expensive and fancy cars in the world. The second, <laughs> my mom's minivan. It's oh not specifically my mom's minivan, but minivan-related questions. And finally, more power, baby. We're talking about horsepower, the f most powerful cars in the world. That is our category, and those are our questions. But we're not done there. We also have hidden right in the show a random question that is only for the shift heads. One lucky contestant will stumble across it and could win two air fresheners if the answer from the text line is correct. When you find it, when we stumble across it, it sounds like this. Ooh, that's the text line special. 
And here is the text line special question. So if you're able, get your phones ready. 877-399-9898. Text in your answers now, and you could be the game changer in this edition of Game Showy. Your question is this. What is considered to be the first minivan? Is it the Type 2 Volkswagen, the Dodge Caravan, Toyota Sienna, or the Chrysler Pacifica? Again, the question, what was the first minivan? The Type 2 Volkswagen, Dodge Caravan, Toyota Sienna, or Chrysler Pacifica? Text in your answers now, and you could be the game changer, my friends. Can you say Toyota again? Toyota. Is that not what? Toyota. That's, Toyota? That's not how you said it, though. When you, when you, you get excited, you call it Toyota. Toyota? Toyota. Toyota? Did I say Toyota? Yeah, Kelsey, did do. I say Toyota? I think you're beautiful just the way you are. Yes. <laughs> That's what my mom says to me when I'm doing Okay. Ugh. This is why I ask the trivia questions and not actually answer them. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, let's do it. I think we're going to let Kelsey go first. Wait a second, Ryan. I get paid to be here and say things like, now you're ready to play game showy. Ryan? Now we're ready to play. Kelsey Campbell, you get the honors of picking the first question of the night. Where are we going? Can I just say, it seems like you've brought in someone who can talk cars. Uh, like, we're talking luxury brands. And I feel like the only thing I'm qualified to talk to talk about is minivans, because I mm-hmm. ripped around mm-hmm. in one for two decades. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it was an Aerostar. It doesn't even make the list. A 96 Aerostar. Her name was Bertha. And she doesn't make the list as uh, the original minivan. So, uh, you know what? I'm just going to I'm gonna flex my muscle. Sure, I can talk luxury cars, and let's let's go hard. Three air fresheners. Okay. Whoa. Three air fresheners in luxury cars? Okay. <laughs> I have something to Game prove. On. This is tough. Okay, so here's your question. And I'll be honest, there's a little bias on this one. My favorite vehicle is the Nissan GTR. Nissan's, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're roadster. They're fast, exciting car. Twin turbo V6, 565 horsepower. It's so fast. It's so beautiful. Zero to 60 in less than three seconds. Kelsey, does that car cost over or under $130,000? Over or under? First, is it Nissan or Nissan? I thought this is going to drive me. <laughs> Nissan. It is I Nissan. It Nissan. I'm, trying, I'm talking fast. Well, you're nailing it tonight. You're, you're beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you're doing I'm, a great job. <laughs> I'm going to assume just with the inflation, it's, yeah, it's a higher than $100,000. Yeah, 130. 130, well, definitely 130. higher. Yeah. Did you know what's a guess when you get the number even wrong? I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> Nissan. <laughs> you should look it up. Well, the, oh, the Nissan car, the oh, specific Nissan. Nissan in this one. It That is correct, Kelsey. It is more than $130,000, but not by much. This car, if you buy it in Canada, costs 137 thousand bucks very tight window to make that one works and uh yeah one day i will one somehow drive one of those probably should get my license first though yeah please do god yeah please. god okay so there you go <laughs> kelsey in the lead with three air fresheners your car is going to smell fantastic oh. kelsey 
Shane? Three air fresheners. That's like my son's car. He's 17. He's got like 18 air fresheners hanging. Like you get inside it and the chemical intake is like wheezy. <sighs> it smells so bad in here. All right. I'm going to go with two air fresheners. And I'm going to be trying to be strategic here. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to go with uh, that little category that's going to give me more power, baby. More power, baby. All right, Shane. Here's your question. Which of these cars is more powerful, okay? And we're just going off of horsepower, and I'm not, I'm giving you a specific model here, okay? So which one of these cars has more horsepower? Mm-hmm. The 2023 Mini Cooper or the 2023 Chrysler Grand Caravan minivan? More power. Which one has more horsepower? I think that... Um... It has to be the minivan because it is a brick and a mini mm-hmm. is uh, light and free and got a little turbo in it and super fun. One of my favorite cars I've ever owned. Well, that is correct. Yes, the minivan's got more horsepowers in that one. It's a 3.6 liter V6, which is not much different than the Nissan GTR's engine, except it has 287 horsepower. The Mini Cooper has just 134, but as you said, it's so small and so light that it is much faster. Although they do make a version of that car with 300, which is crazy quick. So there you go. Shane, right behind Kelsey with two air fresheners. Kelsey in the lead with three. Kelsey, it is your go. I am not feeling confident. You've owned all these cars. You guys have dreamt about these cars. The first time I uh, did an on-location, like, remote for radio at a car dealership, they were used to dudes coming in and talking horsepower. I'm like, this sweet little red lady is calling your name. (laughs) I didn't even know the full name of the car, but I'm feeling really confident. Uh, You know what? I'm I'm just going to go back into my comfort zone, and let's go three air fresheners. Mom's minivan. Mom's minivan. Okay. Well, Kelsey, this is a pretty. This is an interesting question. Okay. I'm. There are millions of moms in this country. So, (laughs) what is the best-selling minivan in Canada? Last in 2021, I couldn't find stats from last year. Wait. Whoa. This is offensive to my buddy Jeff, who loves his minivan, and his wife Mm -hmm. uh, does not love a minivan, and she would rather drive a truck. So I feel like this is. Way too prejudice of a question to be doing hey, that. Okay. Hey, we I, just want to give a Jeff, shout out to Jeff. Jeff, you look you look great in your minivan. You Jeff you ride in confidence, sir. He bought two minivans. Yeah, he did. So he could have two. He did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I'm done now. I just feel like yes, I had to stand sorry, up for all the it, yes. all of the husbands who like to drive minivans, right? Jeez. Jeez. Okay. Well, so Kelsey, so for three air fresheners, you could take a big lead here with six total. And the question is, what is the best selling minivan in Canada? The year that I have the stats from is 2021. Okay. Here are your options. The Toyota Sienna, Chrysler Grand Caravan, the Dodge Grand Caravan, or the Chrysler Pacifica. Ford doesn't even make the cut. It's the only one I know. (laughs) Yeah, Ford. Well, they ditched it, right? They don't even make it anymore. They just completely ditched it because one of these vans on this list right now essentially owns the entire market in North America. Yeah, and everyone knows this. Jeff, phone a friend. Jeff, I need you, buddy. (laughs) What minivan are you riding in right now, bud? I'm going to go... 
I don't, I am, this is a wild guess with confidence. Chrysler. The Chrysler. Which one? The Grand Caravan or the Pacifica? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you, I felt you had a little underline exclamation mark on uh, Chrysler Grand Caravan. Final answer. Final answer. I'm so sorry to say that is incorrect. Mm, Don't now, like Shane hearing that. Has five seconds to steal the answer if he oh, knows. Sorry, it. I was... oh, that's... oh uh, the number one Toyota Sienna, because that's what Jeff has. It, it is the Toyota Sienna. Yeah. yeah. Stop it. Yep. In he does. He had two of them. <laughs> he had a gold one and a black one. Yep. He's the reason that they're top sellers. Uh-huh. This is a truly oh, yeah, bizarre, like a mind blowing stat in 2021. On average, 863 Toyota Sienna's were sold in Canada every single month. For for comparison, Dodge only sold seven Grand Caravans a month in Canada on average that year. Everybody mm. is buying the Toyota. All right. Uh, my question here, I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in Calgary. Kelsey Campbell is in downtown Vancouver. Ryan O'Donnell is your host here on Game Showy Luxury. Uh, I'm going to go for one air freshener. Luxury for one air freshener. Oh, well, we're going to go very fancy on this one. It is the pinnacle of Rolls-Royce, the Phantom, Mm. the Rolls-Royce Phantom 2. It's a legendary Mm. maverick of a car, an icon of luxury. It has a special silver white paint, features interior covered in hand-embroidered silk, special leather, (laughs) bamboo fiber-based cloths. Will it run you over or under? Five hundred thousand dollars. Get out of here! It's got to be over. I mean, it's got bamboo. It's. I mean, it sounds like it's going to save the planet. <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like just you talked about what was in that car, and I think a whale just survived. Like it was like like a a dolphin just got out of a fisherman's net somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I can say over. Over. Well. That is correct. It Yay. is over $500,000. $560,000 is the starting model. You can Ooh. get ones that go up into the seven or eights. And that's not even the most expensive car that I've found for Game Show, by the way. Hmm. So, right. Kelsey, Shane has stolen an answer and now has six air fresheners to your three. Do I look worried to you? I'm not worried. I, nope. I don't. You no. don't sound worried at all. Nope. In no, fact, I you think kind you're of scare me a little bit. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's the confidence is infectious. So it's it's your goal. It's meant to be threatening, but sure, uh, infectious. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go back to the minivan. Yeah. For two air fresheners. For two air fresheners. Oh, you just found the text line special. A question that you cannot answer, Kelsey. So you don't even have to worry about it. This is for the listeners <laughs> and the listeners alone. I'm going to give you a few seconds to get your answers in. What was the first minivan? Is it the Type 2 Volkswagen bus, the Dodge Caravan, the Toyota Sienna, or the Chrysler Pacifica? Which of those was the first minivan? You guys have any idea? It's not a minivan. Um... Well, I don't know. I would, I would, a caravan. I mean, those were so new and so fresh at the time. Most of them caught on fire. It was pretty new technology back then. (laughs) So this is a controversial question because there are many different definitions of a minivan. There are some cars from the forties that look like minivans that aren't minivans. But if we're talking first original proper minivan, as we know it, there is only one option for that. 
and every single texter, Kelsey, mm-hmm. has sent in the same answer. Okay. Cat and Gimli, Dodge Caravan. Yes. Tina in Calgary, Dodge Caravan. Would it be Tina? Denise, Dodge Caravan. Yes, Denise. Name show answer from a, a number, and there's no name, Dodge Caravan. Thank you, no name. And that is, <laughs> that is, that is the correct answer. It is the Dodge Caravan. That is the first true minivan. You could argue that it was the Volkswagen bus. However, for mass appeal, for what the minivan was designed to do, it does go to the Dodge Caravan. And that is two air fresheners all to you, my friend. There you go. Confidence. Wow. I feel like Confidence. you were just making anything I ask the text line special. This girl needs help. Guys, rally, rally. She needs you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, what is it now? Ooh. It is now six to five air fresheners. So Shane could seal it here, but if you get it wrong, Kelsey could steal. Well, Kelsey's killing the mom's category. <laughs> 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 Stereotypes. Um, so I'm going to go with luxury for two luxury and hope this two. works out because if I get it wrong, Kelsey could steal it and win. No pressure there, Kels. I don't feel it. Okay, so Kelsey... The- do you know my favorite car brand, Kelsey? Do you know my favorite of all car brands, by the way? Yeah. A fast one? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it is a even. fast one. I uh, The questions are random, and Shane just opened up a question for his favorite car company, which is Aston Martin. Shane, this, your question is I this. I knew it. I knew I yeah. knew coming in here how this was going to play out. Go ahead, Shane. Go. Yeah, you okay. just you win fair and square. Go ahead. Okay, Shame. I don't know the answer, maybe. <laughs> I have two cars that I can choose from. I'm going to pick the one that I know you might not know, and that is the Aston Martin Vulcan. It is a track-only supercar. There's only 24 is... of them in the world. A V12 uh-huh. with 820 horsepower. Does this car cost over or under $2 million? Over or under? There's only 24 of them. It's the Vulcan. I think it's the one, though, is the one that's over $2 million. I think it's the the one that was the Aston Martin one. So I'm going to say this one is... uh, I'm going to say it's under. Under? Oof. That's incorrect. Oof. Steal. 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 You can steal (laughs) steal the... What's the what are my other options? A game show. Your host? Other options is I can give you a different question, and that is the Aston Martin DB11, which is Shane's favorite car. That car is a little bit more consumer friendly, Kelsey. That's got a big engine, V8, a lot of horsepower, 528. Does that cost over or under three hundred thousand dollars? Ah, I want to say everything is high with inflation. Okay, more economical. Mm, under. How's your under? minivan now? Under. Under. The brand spanking new DB11 starts at $257,000 oh, no. which is correct. That's so Kelsey insane. just stole it. That's stupid. That's stupid, you guys. Don't spend that kind uh, of money on cars. Put it in an education hey, fund. Get an RSP. Me. What are you doing? Uh, we do not accept responsibility and responsible <laughs> notions on this show. This is not okay. We're like happy about, <sighs> oh, it's only $257,000 for this car. Get yourself okay, a yeah. used minivan. You've got, you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, my God. It's okay. There's a you car go on this Rolls list that Royce costs- place first, and then you go to Aston Martin, and then you look at the 500000 and you go, baby, okay, fine. We'll get something cheaper. Here's the Aston Martin. <laughs> Just saying. It's the way to go. 
dumb. Dumb. Well, Kelsey, you just won, so I think you could be a little bit more celebratory because you stole Shane's answer and you come out on the lead. I I feel like I'm I'm like I'm still like guns firing, ready for battle. That's how it goes here on Game Showy. <laughs> well, there's no need, Kelsey Campbell, because you're the thief that stole the game. Ew. Let's be honest, you were guessing, but technically by the rules, you win. <laughs> What? Thanks for driving your minivan into the radio station and joining us here on Game Showy. Get your pets spayed or neutered. Thanks for being here. Yay! This is the Shift Podcast. A conversation that I think is so fascinating here. Um... Mark Mazurkowski, uh, Mazurowski, pardon me, joins us uh, here on The Shift, co-founder of the Holocaust Art Restitution Project. Now, I've been talking about this through the course of the evening here and how excited I am to learn more about this and learn more about the history of um, art that was stolen in the war. There's two particular stories that, that have me curious right off the top. Uh, here. Number one is there was a story about a Jewish family that fleed the Nazis. They sold a Picasso painting in 1938, and now they're suing to get it back. Um, and then there's another story that came out. Um, there was a declassified treasure map from the war that has sparked people, treasure hunters all over the world, to start chasing stolen art, stolen riches, and all of these things. We've learned here on the shift that art. And the world of art in itself is, uh, it's a strange beast. So imagine this, trying to find art from so many years ago, World War II, stolen, all of that stuff. And then not only do you want to get back to the rightful owner, but you somehow got to figure out who is the rightful owner. And this is where Mark steps in. Hey, Mark, welcome to the shift. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me at this uh, crisp hour in the morning. This is crisp. That's a very good word. Thank you for joining us um, and and being live. Help us understand, Mark, what it is that you uh, what it is that you do here, and why why does this matter to you? Um, all right. Basically, this is all about um, genocide mm -hmm. and what happens in the commission of act of genocide uh, during the Second World War, well, basically between 1933 and 1945, um, the Nazis were in power in Germany. And their major focus of attention was uh, to marginalize, persecute, and eventually eliminate all the people of Jewish descent uh, inside Germany and then across Europe. But while doing that, the pro their pro the uh, property owned by Jews was really the most one of the most important aspects of his policies was essentially to remove all that property, yeah. put it in the hands of non-Jews, and sell it, profit from it. Yeah. So basically, just re incorporate Jewish wealth into the economy of this Nazi nation. Well, and, and can I just add one thing on that? Like this was yeah. so abhorrent that literally stealing gold and um, silver fillings from people's mouths was like a legitimate thing. Like it was literally take every piece of wealth that they could possibly steal. Correct. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Uh, when it comes to art, um, 
no one really knows how much was stolen. Uh, whatever numbers that you hear out there, uh, nobody can back them up. There's right. no concrete evidence. But all that's, this is to say that the numbers that are put out there are very conservative because when you think about it, just about everybody in Europe had something that was of artistic or cultural quality. And I don't mean that everybody had a Picasso, but they had something of value. So it doesn't matter what it looked like right. or who made it. Well, I would it think was simply valuable. Wedding rings alone is impossible right. to estimate the quality and the value of just something as simple as wedding rings, which everybody wore back then. And the millions and millions of people that, that died, even if you just think about half of them were married, uh, th that's that's a staggering number that's impossible to guess. Correct. And those wedding rings were basically melted down into gold bars. Those gold bars were put into central banks, and those central banks basically used the gold bars to obtain currency on the foreign markets. So essentially, personal Jewish property was used to fund the war effort and to fund the expansion of Germany. And the problem is that those gold bars are still circulating. Yeah, and just how do we how do we find that out today? I mean, the, there could be somebody who has art or gold in in their vault today that they don't even know where it came from. Um, this is must be where the discovery of what you're trying to find here becomes incredibly difficult. Or am I wrong? Well, it all depends. I mean, uh, if these are sort of what we would refer to as high end pieces, they might benefit from additional documentation out there because art historians might have taken interest in them. But fundamentally, the answers to all these questions lie in archives, and you have to be prepared to do a lot of research, a lot of digging, a lot of reading, and a lot of data extraction in order to understand what's out there and how to connect the dots. So when you talk about treasure maps, well, those are nice, you know, whenever they happen, you have no idea whether they're real or not. Uh, it could be somebody's idea of a practical joke, or it could be a treasure map, but you're talking about 80 years ago, and what survives after 80 years. I mean, uh, there were a lot of people as of 1945 who were doing exactly the same thing, looking for treasure. Right. Because it's true that a lot of things were dropped off, buried by either Nazis fleeing or in victims basically hiding their their possessions. But, you know, pretty much Europe is littered with uh, this kind of stuff. We're chatting about Nazi art and reclaiming it back to the rightful owner. Mark is here. Mark uh, Mazarovsky, my apologies, Mark. Am I saying that right? Mazarovsky is correct. Thank yes. you. The um, the what about laws here, Mark? Do you have any support as you try to go through this? I would imagine that a law says if it was stolen, you can trace the rightful owner. But this other story that comes out about the family that sold it. Now, the circumstances under which they sold it are obvious. They're fleeing. They're trying to cash out, get as much money as they can. And their, their heirs want to get it back. So the under duress and those those legal terms that we use today. Uh, is there any help legally for you to be able to chase these things and get them back to the rightful owners? Well, the laws have not been really modified to, um, to make that any uh, easier. The problem is that, well, on the Anglo-Saxon side, there is this idea that the thief cannot convey title to the next person. So that's one added measure of, of protection, but that's about all that exists. On the uh, civil side, which is most of the world, the the person who owns the piece currently has a very a very strong defense because it is assumed that the person bought the item in good faith. So good faith has been 
almost the impossible shield uh, through which to break in order to make these restitution cases. And the problem is that you have to bring a lot more to the table in order to convince a judge that uh, your claim is valid. But no, there are no laws, special laws that exist to make this easier on people on both sides of the Atlantic. Why does this matter to you, Mark? What is this uh, connection for you? Because this, to me, seems like an incredibly difficult, detailed, uh, a lot of late nights journey of elbow grease and probably pulling your hair out trying to find your way. So what inspires you in this? Because there must be a heart connection. That's, that's one way of putting it. Um, well, I grew up in France, um, and uh, I guess France is just uh, sort of oozing with history. And uh, somehow the Holocaust sort of resonated in particular Probably my parents made a horrible mistake by uh, when we went to Poland, we visited the camp of Auschwitz. I was 11 years old, so maybe that kind of started me on the on this thankless road. But eventually, um, it was basically being faced with a massive act of injustice. And, uh, and uh, you know, sometimes uh, you got to do something about it. So uh, it began with war crimes investigations and then eventually went into this whole idea of people profiting in absolutely unethical and heinous ways from other people's misery on such a large scale. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who directly benefited from uh, the persecution of the Jews and other victims during the Nazi era, and who also and who actually built fortunes. So this is why this is really a very important story to tell, because it's a reminder of what we're capable of. And it's also a reminder of the things that uh, we can do to basically prevent it or uh, or make sure that people have some kind of uh, justice that comes their way. But it's never going to be one-on-one, -on -one, and that's really one of the great uh, tragedies of that whole period. And when it comes to art, um, I would say that 95% of the collections have not been found and have not been returned to the rightful owners wow. because there's been a tremendous emphasis on extremely wealthy extremely pricey, very valuable items. I hear a couple of things here. Um, it's plunderedart.org, the Holocaust Art Restitution Project. And Mark, what I hear here is a couple of different frames that I would like to take. I want to uh, get you to please share with us what it's like to go through the process of doing this. Hypothetically, you found the piece of art. You have your paperwork trail that says, by the way, this was stolen and the person who has it is not the rightful owner of it, we're going to give it back to the person who should have it. Understanding that's probably not that black and white. So you have somebody that you get to give the painting back to. This was your grandfather's, great-grandfather's, father's, whatever. This is yours. That moment, I would like to know what that's like. On the other side of that same coin, though, there's probably a grandchild that's finding out that maybe their grandparent was a thief. They're finding out connections to political ideology that they're probably not comfortable with. Not to mention, they're probably, if it's some affluence to it, they're probably not keen on the world finding out about it either. And so that, that to me just screams resistance like you've never seen just from the vanity part alone. So is that a fair assessment of what this tug of war is like when you have to, by the way, your grandparents were thieves or great grandparents and they did this stuff. And, at the, and here's the evidence. And then you also have this moment where you actually get to return it to the person. Uh, what a dichotomy. Yes. Um, I think you sort of put the, 
your finger on it. Um, we never really expected any of this to turn into a wholesale warfare, but that's pretty much how it started. Uh, from the day that we started back in September 1997, all the way to today, I mean, it's getting a, a little bit easier, but there is nothing like a person uh, being accused of uh, owning something that uh, that person should not own to um, trigger these massive, as what you call, acts of resistance. And uh, it is like extracting teeth. And uh, the average time it takes to uh, to obtain restitution of the object uh, is anywhere from uh, four or five to twenty years. So uh, if you're uh, if you're willing to go through this process, you're pretty much in for the long haul. And um, and that's absolutely uh, that's really unacceptable, but it's uh, it's the way it is. And this is where governments have faltered because they haven't really made things easier for people to recover. Uh, there is no uh, even though we sort of think about what the standard is for, of proof, uh, particularly for these kinds of uh, for sales, these acts of duress, it's much more difficult to prove that than uh, a wholesale act of confiscation of thievery. And uh, because the idea of duress means it's it's psychological and it's uh, it's all based on the fact that you have not engaged in consent when you sold a particular painting to whoever it was. Uh, so, yes, we associate this with value, but at the same time, it's the circumstance around the sale. So imagine that, you know, your family loses everything, lose their jobs, uh, they're on the verge of being evicted. And the only thing left to do is to sell everything that's around you. Well, that's a classic forced sale, but in a Jewish context, you have to prove that that forced sale took place as a direct act of persecution, in addition to all the economic uh, horror that's uh, that's taking place at that time. Because you know uh, things were not great economically since we had exported the Great Depression to Europe in the in the late twenties, early thirties. So folks in Germany are already battling against that, and in addition to that, you basically add this other layer of harassment and oppression against an entire group of people. And that's pretty much what the duress is all about. But for a judge sitting in a court in Detroit or or anywhere else in the United States or uh, or in Canada even, uh, you have to be able to string all these facts together and, and prove that it's relevant to essentially take a case like this to court in a jurisdiction where the thief, the theft never even took place, but that's where the object is located and try to assert justice. That's wow. a lot. That's a lot. Know? Well, and there was seasons of the war where uh, Jews were identified, but not necessarily persecuted in some places and seasons, but then they were persecuted. That must be complicated. And then today you have artwork that is still being bought, sold, and traded that could be on your list, and it's still going through different hands today as value. And then in addition to that, there must be the legal end of it, because people will leverage the value of things like artwork for their business or their whatever investments and stuff like that. And now you've taken the leverage away because now there's a third party bank who says, well, that's actually not theirs. I have a lien on it. I mean, there's like, you can see how it just expands yeah. from there because by the way, they use that $3 million painting to fund, I don't know, their Island or their whatever business, right? Like, so now you've got more hands in the pot trying to take it. Yeah. So fundamentally you're talking about using stolen property um, to conduct business. Yeah. And what we have to, but the problem is, it's the onus is always on the victim, not on the perpetrator. So, even though the person did probably buy it uh, without thinking, which is not what they're supposed to do, but that's what ninety-five percent of us do when we buy something. We just, ooh, that's pretty, and then we just put the money down. And that's the end of it. 
Um, but, um, but we always forget that there's something behind that object. Right. So, so when what's it like for you when when I'm assuming you don't meet at a Starbucks and like, hey, here's your painting. Mm. But that moment where you do actually get to hand it back to the person, they see it, it's in their possession. It's it's everything has been fulfilled, restored, if you will. What's that like for you with all of this work and all this time? Like Mark, the guy who puts in all this work, what does that feel like when you get to see the look in their eyes and walk away from that going, holy crap, we did it? Well, I've witnessed it. I've never actually did the handover, but um, it is a, an immense feeling of satisfaction. And um, you know that you can't replace uh, dead relatives and uh, everything that got lost. But it is, for a lot of people, the only thing left of that era. In other words, uh, you could be a gazillionaire, but you will fight tooth and nail to get that little painting back uh, because it is all that's left of your grandfather. That's it. It's a memory, and that's why it's very powerful, which is also why the emotions are so strong on both sides of the equation. And uh, for those who owned the piece, you know, for decades after the war, yes, well, they too fell in love with the piece, and it's probably just as gut-wrenching for them to abandon it to somebody who uh, is the rightful owner, as it is, you know, in a huge emotional experience for the person whose family lost it. To finally be able to recover it so uh it, it's uh yeah emotions right run very high on both ends and that's what makes it a particularly toxic um and very passionate issue it's not something that uh, you discuss over breakfast and uh, and get done in an hour and a half so yeah unfortunately dangerous i guess at times well it depends on who you deal with yeah it's, it's wild what can we do for you, Mark? Um, it's plunderedart.org. Uh, Harp is the Holocaust Art Restitution Project. You have this microphone all across Canada right now. There are people who might hear this and go, hey, I wonder about this, or I, you know, there's this one thing in my family I'm curious about, I mean, there, or I want to restore something that I don't have. What can we do to add to this today? Well, the <laughs> it'd be great if there was a number that you could call and that'd be the end of it, right. but unfortunately it doesn't work that way. So I think what it requires of everybody is to um, to be vigilant, to go into museums and not think that everything there uh, got in uh, through uh, you know through legitimate means. Unfortunately, because it's a tremendous amount of material all around you in museums, in galleries, in auction houses, even in antique stores that maybe should not be there, and perhaps uh, you know the history of those objects indicates that uh, something really bad happened in the past. So perhaps the best thing to do right now is for you to ask questions, mm. to always ask questions and not assume that anything that you covet as a some kind of ornamental or decorative piece is actually free of any kind of uh, bloody history. The word that comes to mind for me, Mark, is honor. And I think that's a pretty magical word of what you're here today. Um, I appreciate uh, you coming on with us and being a part of the shift and um, the Holocaust Art Restitution Project. Harp is plunderedart.org. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. It's the shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. Let's honor it. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CuriousCast.ca. 